You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Well, New Church family, it is so good to be with you. And Ruth Ann and I, we have been here actually just over three weeks, going on four. And we are just so thankful that we get to be part of this church family and we start to journey together with you guys. Uh, for those of you who we haven't met yet, my name is Rick, one of the pastors, and Ruth Ann and I are newbies. And so, like I said, we are thrilled to be here and look forward to getting to know you more. Speaking of getting to know, I thought to help you get to know me a little bit better, I thought I would share a couple of pictures with you this morning. These are actually word pictures, so you have to use your imagination a little bit. First picture, May 19th, 1984, right about here, it was our wedding day. Ruth Ann and I, so imagine Ruth Ann. She was as beautiful as she is now. And me, well, you can imagine I uh, had a little bit more hair. It was my pre Botox days. And I told you you needed to use your imagination. And we, at this point in the ceremony, we were kneeling and our backs were towards you. And as you zeroed in on us and you saw the bottom of my shoes, you'll notice painted on one side was H-E and on the other one L-P. Well, some friends of ours had gotten a hold of my shoes, which I didn't know about, and painted the word help on the bottom. And that shows you a number of things. The number of the people that we like to hang out with, a little bit about our sense of humor, and maybe that was a prophetic word in that moment. Jesus has been great, and we've been able to journey together, and we love life, and we love to laugh. Picture number two. It's actually in the future. Timestamp is March the 1st, 2023. And in that picture, you'll see a townhouse that's actually just down Springfield there. Ruth Ann and I are in the picture. We're standing out in front, and there's, there's actually this big container and uh, our, some of our friends are helping unload the stuff out of that container. That's a picture of the fact that we're, we're moving in. We brought all our stuff from, from Calgary, and we'll set up home. But it's also more than just kind of a thing that will be happening. It's, it, it's, a, it's a picture that we get to move into the neighborhood with you guys. We get to enter into what God has for us in this new season. And once again, we are just thrilled to be here together. And so I, I would like to pray. And uh, in, in a sense, as we join and as we walk together, that God will continue to unfold all the things that he has for us and what he has for us this morning in the book of Jonah. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, you're great. As Michelle has reminded us, you are awesome. You're overwhelming, transcendent, and yet also imminent. You invite us to be your kids. Wow. And so the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, would you come afresh upon us? And as we return to a story that has so many layers to it, oh God, would you uh, 
open our minds, fill our hearts, and apply what you have for us today. So thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we return to the story of Jonah, and today we finish off our look at, at his story. A quick overview of the story so far. In the Bible, there are, are 66 books, and in the library of Scripture, no matter what book we take down and start to look at, there are always going to be three big themes going on. God is revealing himself, who he really is. Number two, God is revealing who we are, who we really are. And God is revealing his invitations to us as his kids, invitations to life. God, ourselves, and his invitation. And we've actually seen these three invitations, these three themes being played out in the book of Jonah. Seeing God, seeing ourselves in Jonah, and seeing some of God's invitations. So before we look at chapter 4, I'd like for us to recall what's happened in chapter 3. Remember what happened? Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, he preaches, and the entire city repents in sackcloth and ashes, even the animals. Jonah has just won the Super Bowl of all sermons. He's the Patrick Mahomes of preachers of his day. He's given the game ball. He's voted the MVP, the most valuable prophet of his era. And if there was a parade, well, Jonah would be one of the people on the roof of the bus. And where do we find him? Let's pick up the story in chapter 4 again. And I'd like to read the first part that, that Keith um, led us through and just give us some context and then we'll read the last part of the, the, the chapter. Where do we find Jonah? The word of the Lord. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't that what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But Jonah said, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight 
and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, of which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah had just won the MVP. And where do we find him? Jonah is angry. He's mad. He's ticked at God. He's angry at what he saw, what he wanted to see happen, didn't happen. And so like any rational, mature adult male, he goes and has a hissy fit. He goes to the side of the hill, builds this shed, and we could just imagine him sitting there, probably with his arms crossed, with a poo face, and probably his bottom lip sticking out. I had a family member who used to tease when a child was having a, a poo face with their bottom lip sticking out. Said, be careful or you'll trip over your bottom lip and rip the bottom half of your face off. Well, I don't know if that was Jonah's experience, but he was mad. And God goes to work again, and we are drawn in. The big idea today, God's ongoing work is to transform us, especially how we see and feel about him. I would like for us to see two layers that God does this in our life. Layer number one, God allows us to be real and raw with him. In verse four, God asked Jonah a question. Is it right for you to be angry? And notice Jonah doesn't even respond. He takes off to the hills and quite frankly is very rude. Uh, I th I'm sure we've had uh, experiences in which we're having a conversation with, uh, with a person. Maybe it's quite heated, and the person shuts down and shuts up and perhaps about turn and heads off. It's an unpleasant experience, isn't it? And this is what Jonah did to God. Notice what God doesn't do here. God doesn't call down a heavenly airstrike. God doesn't even rebuke him in this moment. Like in Jonah's words earlier, God is and demonstrates that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, even in this instance. However, God goes to work in him. Jonah's basically saying, God, I don't get it. God, I don't get you. I don't get what is happening right now. As Jonah walked along, things were not turning out the way that he was expecting them. And God seemed to be behaving in a way that Jonah certainly didn't expect it. Oh, we walk that road too, don't we? All kinds of circumstances in our life happen in which we don't get. We don't understand. We don't like them. And it seems like God isn't coming through for us like we expect him to. A diagnosis from the doctor, the loss of a job we really needed, the death of someone we really loved. 
a person that we really cared for and hoped that they would care for us doesn't want to do that. A partner who turns their back. The emptiness and loneliness that can sometimes mark our older years. A child who turns their back on Jesus. Shattered dreams. Loss of hope. God allows us to be real and raw with him. In the book of Psalms, we read words like in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of anguish. Jesus quoted those verses on the cross. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? These are examples of what are called the Psalms of Lament. Lament is pouring out one's heart and head to God what we really think, and what we really feel. And God has preserved all of these prayers and real and raw conversations with him to bless us, to give us permission, to give us vocabulary, to give us syntax, syntax in order to express all that's going on inside of us. Did you know that over a third of the Psalms, probably at least 60 of the 150 uh, Psalms are Psalms of lament, of raw emotion, like we've just heard. And in the book, of, in these Psalms of lament, we'll find at some point a three-letter word, yet, and sometimes but, yet, but, and as we read and hear these prayers of Lent, we see people as they grapple with what's going on and grappling with God. There's this little word, yet or but, in which there's a turn and a sense of renewed faith in God. In this story, God begins to do this kind of work in Jonah again. Let's pick up the story again in verse 6. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed out on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. God causes a plant to grow. In chapter 2, God sends a large sea creature. Here, it's a leafy green plant. And, and Jonah has a Jack and the Beanstalk experience. So we can just imagine, okay? So he's sitting on the side of the hill. He had, he had constructed this shed. And God causes a plant to grow up by this shed. It provides shade. It looks nice. It probably smells nice. 
um, it probably provided some aesthetic value to this shed. And it probably increased the real estate value of this shed in the nice suburban neighborhood of Nineveh. And then a worm comes along and chews the root and the nice green plant shrivels up and dies. The next morning, a scorching wind comes. The sun beats down. The temperature goes up. And Jonah sits there, red-faced, sweaty, and angry. And God asks him a question. God says, but Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, it is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. You know, it's interesting. God has asked a similar question in verse 4, but with a twist. Now he's asking about the plant. Jonah, what do you think? What are you feeling right now? And Jonah's saying, well, like, I liked that plant. It made me feel better. I cared about it. I was miserable before, and it brought shade along, and it was kind of pretty to look at, and there was a nice aroma, and now it's not there anymore, and I'm miserable. God is brilliant. He's a lot smarter than you and I. You see, Jonah is a very self-consumed dude. He only thinks about himself and his perspective. That's how we've encountered him in the book. He can't see beyond himself. He's beyond rational argument. And then the plant dies. Perhaps for the first time in a long time, especially in this book, Jonah cares about something beyond himself. He cares about his emotional attachment to this this leafy plant. Now, yeah, it's transactional. He likes it because it gives him shade, and it's kind of nice to look at and provides him some greenery. But he has some feelings about it. He cares about something beyond himself. And then God says, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. You see, God starts where Jonah's at. He uses the fact that Jonah actually, he's found something. Jonah's found something that he cares about. And God is basically saying, Jonah, that's good. You care about the plant, and now it's gone. Yeah, that's a loss that you're experiencing. You really like that plant, and you're feeling bad and sad that it's no longer there. You have an emotional attachment to it. And though you didn't plant it, you cared about it, and now it's gone. Jonah feels it. And then God asks him a question, and he says, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, you feel bad about the plant? 
Have you ever considered how I feel about 120,000 people and their animals who have never, can, can't even tell their right hand from their left? Now, a little bit of a sidebar. What, 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 does that, what does that mean? Cannot tell their right hand from their left hand. Uh, it's an idiom. It's a figure of speech. It's not saying, God's not saying, ah, what the Ninevites are doing is really not too bad. You know, I'm just kind of poo-pooing that. I'm dismissing it. I'm blowing it off. No, that's not what he was saying. There was lots of evil present in that city. As you've heard over these weeks, it was a place where they skinned prisoners alive. They impaled people on the, the walls. It was a place of sexual violence of every kind. There were a lot of nasty people there. And God was not denying that or putting that aside. This idiom was rather saying, you know what, these people... Uh, do a lot of things in ignorance. And this was a phrase that Judah would understand that about ignorance. And he would understand that as a follower of God and part of God's people, that God's people have the law and morality and the revelation of the true God and all kinds of invitations to live a life that's really life and a moral life. They had a lot of light. And this group of people, not excusing, but lived in darkness. You know, in the New Testament, a number of times talked about the fact that before we were followers of Jesus, we lived in darkness. And we did and said and thought a lot of things in ignorance until we came to the light. And, and that's what God is saying to uh, to uh, Jonah here. What God is saying is, I care for these people, not ignoring the evil, but I really care about them. Remember, Jonah, what you quoted to me yesterday? I am a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, and I want to try to do that for them. Fast forward to you and I. The second layer that God deals with us is that God invites us to encounter Him in the midst of that which is most difficult for us. In Jonah's case, right now it was losing that plant. God used a plant and Jonah's care for that plant as a doorway to re-encounter the God who sees, how he sees and feels about God, a God of grace. Well, with you and I, God probably won't send along a big leafy plant to grow up overhead. If he does, please tell me. I'd like to see it. At least post it on Instagram. That would be awesome. For us, God usually uses people people we find really hard to get along with, who we prefer not to deal with. Like Jonah, they are the people in which living and loving and following God would be so much easier 
if they were not there. For Jonah, it was the Ninevites. Actually, a lot of evil present there. Not to deny that in our life, there are some people that are very challenging. Yet, rather than a barrier to following God, an obstacle in our path, the people that we find the most difficult are not an obstacle, but a doorway to encounter God and to be transformed. I love this quote. It's powerful. It says this, The gift that our enemy may be able to bring us, to see aspects of ourselves that we cannot discover in any other way than through our enemies. Our friends seldom tell us these things. They are our friends precisely because they are able to overlook or ignore this part of us. The enemy is thus not merely a hurdle to be leaped on the weight of God. The enemy can be a way to encounter God. We often cannot come to terms with our inner shadow sides except through our enemies. We almost don't have any other areas, uh, any other access to the parts of our being that need redeeming except through the mirror that our enemies hold up to us. Wow. The enemy can be a way to encounter God. We often cannot come to terms with our inner shadow sides except through our enemies. We almost don't have any other access to the parts of our being that need redeeming except through the mirror that our enemies hold up to us. A mirror. For Jonah, it was the Ninevites. Yes, once again, people who did nasty things. But the same things present in them, a people without compassion, a people without mercy, those were present in Jonah's heart. Jonah saw them as all wrong and himself as all right. He didn't take into fact that actually some things they were ignorant of. They didn't know. They were ignorant of the things of God. Ah, we see our enemies in the same way. We tend to focus on all that they have done, what they've said, the hurts that they've done to us, and we see them as all wrong and ourselves as all right. The line of good and evil goes through every person. Ninevites, Jonah, me, and you. The good news, the gospel news, the way of the cross is that even horrendous people have an invitation to encounter with even um, evil people in our life, difficult people in our life, are part of God's invitation to encounter him and receive from him what we need. And God even uses them to redeem some dark parts, some of our shadow side that still need his grace and his transformation. The story ends at the end of Jonah chapter 4. We don't see the rest of the story. We, we don't see Jonah's response. 
there's a big question mark there. We're left hanging. However, the story does continue with you and I. And I'd like to suggest this morning we have an invitation from the Lord to recognize that God often uses those people that are hardest for us to get along with as a mirror to see ourselves, but beyond that, an invitation to go to Him, to receive from Him compassion and mercy and grace to walk forward and to, and to walk um, into what it looks like to walk with Him and what God has for us. How will we respond to the enemies in our lives that provide a mirror to the darkness within us? Here's a little prayer exercise that I'd like for, to invite us to um, briefly look at right now. And then as you walk into this week, to uh, spend some time with Jesus. Uh, it be available on our website um, uh, on Tuesday. We have some copies afterwards out in the foyer and upstairs on uh, a couple of the tables. Here's the exercise to walk through with Jesus regarding those people that actually God is allowing in our life that are very difficult. And so grab a pen and paper and sit down with Jesus. Name, who is the person you find most difficult in your life? Write line by line all that they have done and said that has deeply hurt you. Invite, invite Jesus into the exercise and ask that he may walk you through it. Walk with Jesus line by line. Express to him the hurt and pain in each one of these things. And after each line, place what you have wrote in his hands. After you've exhausted the list, ask Jesus some questions. These are kind of probing questions, but they're important questions. Have I ever done anything like this myself? Have I any areas of brokenness or secrets in my life? Have I ever painted someone all wrong and myself all right? And then here, hear the words of Jesus again, the words that were uttered to uh, Jonah. And should I have not concern for not the Ninevites in our case, but that person. And then receive, the final part, receive from Jesus. Help me to have a greater awareness of my need for your grace and compassion. Holy Spirit, fill me with grace that I may move towards this person with grace. I can't, but you can. Friends, at the cross, there's not condemnation, there's invitation. And this morning, I hope that you sense the good news of Jesus' invitation to himself, of God's invitation to himself for grace and strength from the God of mercy and compassion to walk with uh, people that we find really difficult. So let's take uh, a few moments. Let's be in a posture of prayer do some quietness and do uh, an initial look and walk through this with Jesus and then anticipate what he has for us. 
as we walk into this week. So let's take some um, time of quietness, and then the worship team will, will lead us.